rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Ats. It most certainly is, wherever you might be, right across the SEN Radio Network. Hello to you, Cam Luke, Johnny Steph, in the House for Chemist Warehouse. A lot to get into. As always, the temper text is open, 04-3398-1116. And Johnny Steph for the... Second time ever in 20 episodes live in the studio. Yes, yes About yes. time you got to Melbourne Town, brother. The town, the city, and in fact, honestly, the country you ran in 2006. Like I just said, man, you know, at the end of the day when I ran at Commonwealth Games, they screamed out from the crowd, yep. in John we trust, and I am you. And you had trusted Cam. So I yelled what? that out. I was, I was part of that. I was part of that. I yelled out in John we trust. And then 100,000 went up. You had the big fro. Bro, I was in Nuts, li- live and living colour, man. I- but uh, uh, but no, it's always good to be in studio. And it saddens me, man. Every time yeah, I get to see everybody live and living colour, yep. our boy Benny's in the building. He is. Um, he looks like he's trying to grow a similar afro to what you had in 06, he's actually. He's looking good, Benny. He does. I like, he looks I like fit. He, I like his swag, Big Ben. Got the Solomons on. What are they, Ben? Now, Solomons? What shoes are they? They need to be Puma, mate. <laughs> Just Fix before. It it's a nice Puma Jackie you got on, by the thank way. Thank you, thank Just you. Just before we get into what's going on, a lot going on. Uh, you are in town because Chemist Warehouse has a lot going on, and that's why you're here, right? Yeah, they sure do. Their supply function, which is a big function for them yeah. each year, um, really celebrating the year that was for Chemist Warehouse, as well as celebrating all the people that support the great retail chain now that it is. So, um, yeah, Athletics Australia, obviously, being one of the main sports that's involved that, that Chemist Warehouse supports, along with Australian Open, NRL, AFL, Netball, and the list goes on. Everything, everything, they which is it. brilliant. It, they do kill it, and it reminds me, uh, Chemist Warehouse, one of those partners that we used to see back in the day with all sports. That one synonymous partner, which for me, one that sticks out was Qantas. Yep. They pretty much sponsored all sports. You know, in Australia, I think Chemist Warehouse becoming that. But it's not just about sport. It's really about Chemist Warehouse sort of um, celebrating with their suppliers and the success that it's been over the year. Um, that year that was, and uh, you'll see the great man, Murray. I'm sure he's preparing his speech oh. as we talk oh. now. He's got it all written out. I told him to give Johnny Steph a special mention. <laughs> uh, Cam, Luke, and I, we got VIP seats tomorrow, well, Cam. Well, you know what's happened, Johnny? What happened? Well, I forgot to RSVP. Oh, no, you didn't. And I forgot, and I was going to call... that's what VIPs do. They I, don't RSV uh, because well, you just automatically thought, hey... But so then what happened, and that's, that's not how if I... If I'm not there, you don't fill my spot. So I, I, I'd spoken to Mario, and then he hit me up, and he goes, you're going to get an email, and then I got the email. I was like, yeah, cool, man, I can't wait. And then today, uh-huh. I went to have a look, and I realised that the email I got yeah. was an RSVP. It happened to me as well. So... I was worried, and I was going to call Mario and apologise and say, mate, because I've got, to, I've got to work in the afternoon too, but I want to go and check it all out. <laughs> and then I got another email with my invite and a barcode on it. So oh, you got, I, I got that today so as well. I assume we're in. No, you're, no, but you're a VIP. Man. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a VIP. No, you're a, you're a VIP. Anyway, and what so happens with VIPs is that they don't fill your spot. I was worried. Okay. Oh, you shouldn't be worried. I don't believe I'm a VIP, but I'm going to be there and I can't wait. Hey, I've got something for you today. I have uh-huh. got, I'm going to make you a promise because you are in studio. I'm legitimately... <laughs> do not start no, this early. In the, do not. I'm legitimately, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm going to rank the long jumpers. 100%. Four to one. Four to one, I'm ranking... It's over, lo- no, no, Who cares? People don't even know what we're talking yeah, about anymore. Yeah, you, you said, can you rank you, you the four male long jumpers, the world, the multiple world champions, rank them from fourth, three, two, the and greatest one. The greatest world champion... Yep. Chip representative long jumper. Not remember, Olympics. Do you remember who they were? I sure do. Tell me. Dwight Phillips. Yep. Ivan Pedrosa. Yep. Carl Lewis. Yes. Mike Powell. Done. That's the four, right? That's not in order, by the way, but that is the four. And I, I know that 
I'd say the Mickey every now and then, but because you are here and you're going to look deep into my soul, I'm going to tell you today. <laughs> that quietly, it's I'm happening. actually very surprised. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to your stuffing up. Now, there's a lot to get into, but I, I, I want to. I want to actually start with this. Mm, go on. Right. So, Kimberly Garcia, are you aware of this? So, no, not sure she's at a 20 really kilometer yet. race walk, right, at the Pan American Games, right? Mm. 20 kilometer. And she crosses the finish line and she goes nuts because there is a belief that she has broken the world record. The world record, right? Everyone's going nuts, world record. Oh, this is amazing. Now, it was later found out that the world record wasn't ratified because there's a measuring, measuring issue on the track. So they didn't race walk 20Ks. They race walked 17. So we're talking about the the, the track 20K yes. world record. No, okay. they, they, no, they're talking about the road, but the, I use track, wrong word. So the actual distance of the track race walk yeah. was 17 kilometers, not 20. They okay. stuffed up. Okay. Right? She's celebrating a world record. You, you stop me when you think that she should have known she didn't break the world record. The world record for people who may not know, <laughs> oh, <no>. currently, <laughs> right, is is Yang Jiao, right? The time is one twenty three forty nine. So that yeah. is the current women's twenty k road uh, walk world record one twenty three forty nine. Yeah. On Sunday, oh, no, Kimberly Garcia crosses the line, looks at the clock, and <laughs> celebrates as she broke a world record, of which she did it in. <laughs> One hour, 12 and 26 seconds. So she would have broken it by over 11 minutes. And everybody oh, was claiming that she broke. Like, it, 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 took, it took way too long to realise that there'd been a clear mistake. 11 minutes, Johnny Steph. Now, you're an athlete. If you looked up at the clock and you looked at the time and you thought oh, to yourself... Kimbo. Yeah, something's not something's not right. Kimbo. You're not claiming that. No one's suggesting uh, okay, that could well, ever I'll stand. Tell you, one day I raced in Greece <laughs> and the identical thing happened to me. But I had the sense to look at the clock and within that split second yeah. it said forty two sixty something. <laughs> and I'm like, the world record that time was forty three yeah. two yeah. one eight. I'm going, hang on a minute. <laughs> I know I'm quick. I know. But, I, I... But, but yeah, I don't know. When, 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 I heard, when I heard about the story, I was like, oh, that would be really... But you've got to be, you've got to be careful because now you've got, you know, the, the, the transgender community jumping, eh, you know, you're allowing, they're allowing all this to happen. You, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, I'm just saying... Uh, what I'm saying is there is no way in the world, in the world, it'd be like a marathon runner in the men's running a 151 yeah, and it, then claiming you, it. You're trying to dodge what I'm saying, you can. We're going to go in and address this. I'm saying you've seen the weightlifting... There was the the guy who now crossed over being a woman, and he won the she won the the Olympic the world championships. Yeah, so I'm saying if a, if a, if a she guy, didn't lift fifty five thousand kilograms heavier than anyone else, it was a relatively and, close competition. Like, well, like eleven to, minutes. But I'm saying if 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 I'm saying if a guy yeah decides you know the well he becomes a woman mm-hmm. and then he decides to do the walk, there's yeah. a possibility that he could break that record by that amount of time. I, I disagree. I, I don't think so. 11 minutes, 11 
minutes. And it, <laughs> you're not happy with Kimbo, are you? No, I'm absolutely you're, you're not. I, I, what are you upset I'm, about Kimbo? The I'm fact upset, that she's celebrating? I'm upset that what do you she want her to do, mate? Maybe, it, maybe it she had like a seven, oh, Hey, you know what? Oh, well, she won. She won the race. So she she was the best on the day. So how, but how, to actually, I think it was like six or seven hours before people were like, "Hang on, <laughs> the cones are in the wrong position here." Eleven how, minutes. How harassed did she go when she won? <laughs> how, how? Oh, look, she was pretty excited. I don't, look, she didn't. She look. There's a, she's got a bit of a half smirk on her face when she gets the gold. I I just think that when she looked up, and she's an extremely talented, she's one of the best race walkers in the world. I'm not denying any of that, but to suggest that people herself or anyone else thought that she'd broken the world record by 11 minutes, I think was one of the most misplaced. I say good mental on, good things on you, in Kimberly, history. Mate. She's probably oh. she was very excited. How is she meant to know? She's in the euphoria. That- you know. Johnny Steph, you know. I'm saying, yeah, I reckon did, you're being a little bit harsh. Did here, you think you'd run 42-6? <laughs> exactly. You know as an well, athlete. Maybe Kimbo thought that she was just on a blazer and she felt really good and finished the race and, and felt, you know what? I, I felt I had a good 10-minute PB in me. I, Cam, I just think, I think you're discounting her effort a bit. You know, I reckon, I'm not but, discounting her effort. The smile on her face win. on that podium looks fantastic. No, I, I say, I say it, good on you, know Kimberly Garcia. I, I rate your work. You know, right then on the podium, She's got her gold medal. She's thinking she broke the men's 20K race record as well. Come on. I, I, just, she, think, she I will, just think you're a very hard marker. No, I, I just I, believe that athletes are they're realistic about what they're doing. I think this has got more to do with your effort this weekend or with your race tips that you gave me. Don't, don't to you do dare Kimberly, start, mate. Kimberly I'll Garcia. Tell you what, the, the whole nation. You started the show very negatively, mate. This is very, you, very negative. You and you're normally not like this. The whole world, The whole world wants analytical race tips except for you. <laughs> If we if we if we gave showed your tips out to all our listeners and put on our website, well, they would on. say the exactly no, they, they would say exactly the same thing. So that you walked in, you claiming that you had the first four you wins and the first four sentences you on the what? first four races. You're like no, not the, sure, doubtful. No, first race. Like, and secondly, you know the thing about that what? is, I'm on a national radio show <laughs> saying the exact same thing I sent to you. That's what I said to both you and Campbell. I don't like it. Yeah. I'm your boy. I want yeah. I want I want actual personalized tips. This is what I'm requiring from you, Cameron. Well, honestly, I, I, I want to go to the Caribbean and, and, and share a Bacardi <laughs> run with you, Saying, So how about we just all combine it? <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> there's a lot to get into. You know what we're going to do? Talk we're going to go to a quick break. There was and has been some sad news during the course of the week in Very athletics sad. in Australia. So we'll get into that. Uh, Michael Burin, we chatted to him about three or four months ago. We're going to hit rewind on his wonderful interview as we get towards the Paris and Paralympians and the Paralympics. And finally, I am going to give you my top four long jumpers, world oh. men's long jump champions, in order from four to one. A quick break for Chemist Warehouse. Plenty more next. Rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Ats. Well, thanks to Kemmer's Warehouse, Johnny Steph, Cam Luke, right across the SCN Radio Network. We're starting to gear up for Paris in the 2024. Michael Burian, who is a Paralympic superstar of the Australian team. We're going to hit rewind on his interview we did a couple of months ago. We'll hear from him again shortly. A wonderful chat into how he absolutely shows up at major championships and gets it Done. But this week, Johnny Steph, a bit of sad news in athletics here in Australia. Yeah, sure was, Cam. Um, it took me, I was a bit shocked, to be honest with you. Um, the passing of uh, the great Gary Bourne, you know, uh, legendary long jump coach to so many different athletes. And I'm not going to 
sit here and mention all their names, but um, you're talking Olympic medalists, Mitchell Watt, Bronwyn Thompson, and they're, you know, male and female, two of our, some of our greatest long jumpers, uh, you know, Robbie Crowther, and the list goes on. I think of him. Long. Henry Frayne. Henry Frayne. As well. And uh, and it didn't didn't just stop there. I mean, I can tell you this. My very first year, I represented Australia in 2003 in Paris World Championships. I hated it. I absolutely hated being part of the team. I felt like, honestly, I felt like a fish out of water with, with, I came straight from boxing into athletics. Um, it was a tumultuous time for me, even being the first time I was overseas, like away, like, you know, besides with my family going to Asia, it was the first time being in Europe. And, um, I really felt, um, that I, you know, it was very clicky back then. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> I got into a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of arguments and, um, yeah, I just didn't feel welcome. And okay, and Gary was the only coach on that team that made me feel part of the, the high performance athletes Australian world championship team. And, and I remember I had an issue. Um, it was so stupid at the time. There was a coach by the name of Cliff Mallard and, and I just didn't really like the guy. I felt he was really kind of, um, he really favoured his own athletes. You know, an athlete that was in the relay team, and um, and conveniently, two days normally there were six of us that make a relay team, and then what they do is, out of the six people, normally there's two or three people that re represent Australia individually, and they normally get the berth to run in the relay, and then there's the other three. There's three spots for only one. Well, if there's mm. three people that qualified individually, there's one spot left, which means three people go don't go into one. So normally somehow you saw the how you been racing in Europe, and if you're all still racing very close, then they do a runoff. Conveniently, his athlete didn't have to do the runoff because he had a sore calf. So I'm like, well, if he's got a sore calf, it means he can't run. So that means there ain't no runoff. Mm. So, and you know, it didn't make sense anyway. They made they made this other athlete, Mark Omrod, who was part of the four by four team that won silver in Athens. They made him 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 and myself do a runoff. And I remember I didn't want to do it. I remember Gary Bourne came up to me and he and he put his arm around me and said, "Son, just go out there and give him hell. You know, you'll be alright." And just really showed me that that level of support. Um, and, um, and, and I really felt having someone like that for me, um, was amazing, man. That was a man that he was, he had nothing to do with my running, nothing to do with my career, nothing to do with anything. He just came over and showed me that little bit of love that I needed. And I think that's, if you ask any athlete that, that he coached, they will say that he, he was always in their corner and he was that type of guy. Um, so it was pretty, I mean, him and Peter Norman, are the two mm. people that stand out in my career that, that were coaches that really had a had a really big input um, in my career as well as, you know, Keith Connor was probably the third that yep. was um, in my career. So, yeah, I didn't mean, mean to make this about myself, but no, it was but a little, little bit of a story there that, that, Gary, that, I had to, yeah. that Gary had to do with me in my career. So. Now, and we love hearing them because you've been in these situations with Gary and it gives you a really good insight, a small insight to the type of man that he was. And not the just man, a, bro, don't Not give just me a the... technical bro. expert when it comes to the jumping world, but everything. He was the president, of course, of... Queensland Athletics and so heavily involved in Australian teams at all major championships and able to be able to get something out of you, even though there was no major personal connection prior well, there was to that no, there was no, There was no connection. There mm. was no real gain for him, really, you know, and um, and that was the man that he was, right? Like, that's how selfless he was, um, not only for, um, for you know, for our sport, but for our country. And yeah. I'm told, you know, you got, I talk very highly about John Smith. I think he's probably the top three greatest sprint coaches in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Gary Bourne sits in this atmosphere. 
if you look at his result, look at uh, on, on his body of work and what he's been able to do, especially in Australia. I mean, the guy was, you know, a sensational coach. And But I, what I want people to understand is what type of human being he was now and how, and how good of a man that he was. And every time I saw him on teams post that World Championships, we'd always have a laugh. We'd always have a cuddle. And we'd, I'd always remind people, the younger athletes that were around him about what he did for me every time I saw him because it meant so much to me. And if I'm, ha- and I, if I'm having these stories that I can explain and talk to you about, I can only imagine the athletes that he actually coached day to day and how much of influence he had on their lives. No doubt. We, uh, we extend our condolences to Gary's family and friends, of which there are many both in and outside of athletics. Just quickly, how'd you go in the runoff? Did you win it? Yeah, of course, mate. So you made the team. And John, we trust. A Le Steph was out there in Paris, man. And, and I was, mate, hey, Steph, Steph didn't look back, son. And I celebrated like I won the, like I ran, like I broke the, the 400 record by 10 minutes. <laughs> or I was worse than Kimberly Garcia. <laughs> we do it all thanks to Kimber's Warehouse. It's the House of Arts. Hey, Henry Frayne talking about one of the, uh, the athletes that, yes. that Gary Bourne coached. He's been appointed to the World Athletic Commission. And I quote Henry here. I'm in the twilight of my career now, and at this point, I really want to ensure the sport is left in a better place for the next generation of athletes. Those who know me know that I can be outspoken, and I want to utilize that trait to tackle issues within our sport. When I read that and I heard about this, geez, it sounded familiar. It sounded familiar about oh, a, Henry, my boy, a give me a call. Steph who did a similar thing. Give me a call, my boy. But... Uh, uh, I've had, a, I've had, I wouldn't say I've had a lot to do with it. I've had quite a bit to do yeah. with Henry over his career, and we've we've chatted so much. I'm I'm a big fan of his work, Henry, and what he stands for as a man. Is there, simi- uh, is there similarities between Henry Frayne and yourself? I uh, no, I wouldn't say they're similar. Okay. I think uh, I think the, I think what you're calling out there is his ability to, to be himself and speak yep. his truth. And Absolutely, which talk- is what you did. We, yeah, we, yeah, of course, it's which, which I've then- did. But uh, look, I think how he carries himself as an athlete and, and how he goes about, I think. We 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 were we were very different. Oh, but... he's much more likable. I agree. There we go. Uh, <laughs> no, my, my point if is I didn't that... like Henry as much, I would combat that. But he's a good he's a good man. My, my my point is that he obviously sees some things that need changing, and rather than just sitting back, oh, he's been, he's, he's been talking he exactly. But he's been go. talking about yeah. this for a long time. And what I will say to Henry is to be patient, throw the jab a, bit, a little bit at the beginning, and then come with the right hand. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be really important for him to have people like himself involved in these commissions. But as I know, bureaucracy. Is a, is a very difficult um, thing to overcome, and sometimes this takes time and patience. So the great Alan Jones told me uh, when I joined the board at Australia, he said, "Son, just sit there, listen, and be quiet. And when the time is right, you strike." So, um, you know, did you? I like to think, you know, with, with Mark Arbib and you know now the appointment of Jane Fleming, which I think is going to be really interesting and going to be a really interesting time for our sport. I mean, she understands the sport very well as far as an athlete. Um, she sat on the board previously uh, under Jan Swinnow's. Uh, um, leadership and um, and I think our sport's in a really really beautiful place now at the moment and um, I think with with Jane's touches I think it can get even better um, but you know uh, over the last few years between you know Jan and Mark Arbib and what we did you know what we talked about back in 2017 when I joined the board you saw it coming to fruition at World Championships here with our greatest ever medal, medal tally that we ever had and I think our sport's in a really really good position when you're looking at our high performance team what Andrew Fayton is doing with HP team and all the all the staff underneath him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like to think that we, we did make a bit of a change to be honest with you, Cam. And, and, and I was, and Mark was, Mark Abib was very good to me, um, 
in a sense, to teach me board governance and give me the patience to um to be able to yeah make me able to make those changes. But they do take time, Cam, and that's what no I'm doubt. saying with Henry. Is you know he's he's got a lot of passion and a lot of belief. Love his spirit, love his fight. And and if there's anybody I would back to be able to make a change, it would be Henry Frayne. So I'm looking forward to watching the space. Um, but I do know all about bureaucracy, Cam, and I do know it can be a tough thing to circumnavigate. If you were him, if you were him, so he's going to the World Athletics Commission. If you were him, what would be the first thing you'd be trying to tweak or change? The first thing I'd be going straight for there. What 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 does an athlete's uh, what does an athlete's commercial commodity look like? Yeah. And how do we define that better? So give an athlete a bit more commercial rights to what they have now individually, especially at the world championships and and also federations. But that 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 there that I've just opened up a whole hornet's nest mm. when you start talking like that because you limit the ability for um, right now that is a key asset for world athletics and for them to be able to have total control over that helps them sell because they're selling you you're the primary asset right um, when you're running out there if you look at Noah Lyles so mm-hmm. um, yeah that'd be the first thing you'd you'd want to look at is how how do you how do you quantify that, um, especially for teams, for national teams, you're looking at a world championship like Budapest? Just quickly, I don't think we've had this conversation before. Are you? We might have, but it, well, I'll raise it again because it's such an important time. It's such an important time. We're going to be, you know, we're two months out from 2024, which officially becomes an Olympic year. What do you make of the Australian trials? And this happens all around the world, so I'm talking Australian because that's mm. where we are. Of the positioning of it, is it is it too like? Have we had this conversation before? And I I apologise to listeners if we have. No, we've, we've touched on it. Yeah. Sam Colbert, who is our is our general manager of commercial at Athletic. If you're listening, block your ears now because she's going to want to kill me. But this, this, uh, is a, this is a concern around the world, not just no, with Australia. And, and it is, and that's yeah. what I always explain to everybody. I mean, I I take my hat off to every Australian athlete every year that comes competes in a summer season and heads to Europe and then does damage in Europe because. To be able to do that and to run at that top level all year round is extremely difficult. And I want the Australian public to really understand that they come in and entertain us in the summer because athletes is a summer sport. Um, then they go into our winter to Europe to try and take on the world's best. And we've been doing it year in, year out for a number of years, Cam. So um, I've always been really vocal because I was a Northern Hemisphere athlete, lived in Los Angeles, trained out of America and understood um, the importance of me able to peak once in a year. Um, and especially in the Blue Ribbon events, so they're really the technical events you can sort of get away with it because you can undercompete throughout the year and then put all your eggs in yeah, one bang. basket. But when you're running 100, 400, and these some 1500 and 5k, 10k marathon, it, it man to be able to, you know that, that's and, and I also take my hat off to like people like Sally Pearson. She was an anomaly really, and she did it, man. Like she used to come out in the summer season blaze and then go to like Europe and do it. But I don't make that exception the rule, right? Mm. Um, but she was brilliant, and I take my hat off to her how she was able to do that. So but just just quickly, so Johnny, so to play devil's advocate, and by that I mean mm. like legitimately, is there another way they can do it? Because once these athletes go to Europe, which is such a huge part of yeah. what they do to make money and, and yeah. get themselves prime, they, they, they're out of the country. Well, the so, thing is now that what they have now, the, the world athletes have come out now where they made it really clear for people to understand if you go on the website on, on where your positioning is, where your mm-hmm. ranking is based on points and mm-hmm. also based on where your ranking is based on time. So and that's how you get selected for, well, that's how world athletes selects you for a championship. Yep. But then at the end of the day, your country has to select you based upon the trials. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing was, I always say is, is you still have this full summer season here, but you hold a selection trials because we are underdeveloped with our numbers for our national championships. Yep. So you just hold the selection trials, say in Darwin, which is warm, say around about July, um, and sort of make that a bit of an event like like the supercars do with but the V8. Is it easy to get back if you are already in Europe? 
How much does that hurt? But, if, if, no, but that shouldn't be a problem because be? well, it, well, it, well, it shouldn't be a problem okay. because you understand that's part of you, like flying to Doha. Okay, you know what I mean? Like yep. you, you know, you fly to Doha to race, and you fly to Japan yep. from LA. Let me tell you, it's seventeen hours, and we yep. still fly to Japan to race when when the season starts yep. anyway, right? Yep. So, um, I, I I always was an understanding, and I think we did do that for one. I think maybe Commonwealth Games back for Kuala Lumpur. Yep. I think they did that. They held the trials up in Darwin. Um, but I'd still have the Australian Championships at the same time. I'd still have, I'm just talking selection trials for yeah, world so championships. Australian Championships, you're same still an time. Australian champion, national still champion. It nas- doesn't necessarily guarantee you selection, selection into the team no. until later. No, and what do you do? That, that Australian champion, you don't discount them because, say, Johnny Steph or Steve Solomon or whoever in that top runners in the foreign are not there. You say, no, nah, you, you're in a really strong position because you took the time to run through the summer season. You took the time to do all the selection, like the process. Now you're national champion. We've got to give that kudos because it's very important to be national champion. But now when the selection trials comes, that holds you in very good favor. So now if you find yourself in a position where you, where four people run a very similar time, we'd give that more yep. kudos and more respect because you're Australian champion and you can take that into account. Plus, it also gives you more points on the IWF or in the World Athletics ranking system for you to be chosen. Sure. So if Johnny doesn't run all year, only runs one race, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to have lower points, but I've got to, I need a faster has time. It has to be quick. So, um, yeah, this is, look, this is something, like I said, for those, the poor hardworking staff that do the calendar, probably yeah. listening, it's, it's stop tough. it, stop it. But no, it's just, it's my truth and it's what I uh, feel is going to be is, is is advantageous for greater performances. It, it's a conversation that has continually been around. Having to peak twice is incredibly, mm. incredibly hard, and it's not easy. And it's not just the Australians that have to go through it. Although, due to geographical situations, it is a bit tougher. Quick break around the nation, wherever you might be. We do it all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> Rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Aths. Yeah, most certainly is. Wherever you might be, you can get involved. 0499 736 736 or 043398 1116. Depending on what SEN radio station you're listening to us. Johnny Steph, Cam Luke. And it's a little bit of a quieter time in the world of athletics. So we're going to hit... Rewind and have a listen to some of the superstar chats we've had. And none better than Michael Buren. He is an Olympian. He is a superstar when it comes to Australian Paralympic team. And when it comes to throwing the javelin, there's not many in the world better than him. And we had a chat to him only a couple of months back. Well, thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Head in the Chemist Warehouse every single day for great savings every single day. 043398 to reach out. We're going to talk... Plenty more Diamond League shortly. And you gave me homework two weeks ago, Johnny Steph, which I have done. Yes, I did. Which I have done. Yes, so I did. We'll get to that before we're out of here. But we, we love superstar guests. In fact, as anyone who listens to this show knows, we only talk to people who have done something amazing or are about to do something amazing, of which you and I take a great deal of credit for. But our next guest has, again, stood up in the biggest the biggest of stages and delivered, of course. The, currently, right now, the athletics, uh, the World Para Games are on. We have loved watching them. We've been getting uh, unbelievable. We've been getting metal poisoning, to be fair, the Australian team. <laughs> and this man has added to it as well. Michael Buren joins us right now. Michael, congratulations. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You know you know what I like, Michael? I like when, I, when I'm watching any, any athletics. It doesn't matter. In particular, in this case, field events. And someone stands up and just handles the moment Late stands mm-hmm, up and delivers. Mm-hmm. Now, now in some cases, you're already looking at a medal and you're being able to progress a little further, or you're outside the medals and being able to get into it. But oh, I love that. It just has. It says that athlete has a clutch gene inside them, and that's exactly yeah. what you did. Yeah, 
Nas, man, look at the, the whole whole competition has been for me pretty frustrating from the start. I just couldn't really throw the good throw, you know. And then it was like back in Tokyo again. Like I came to the last one and, you know, I'm walking on the runway and just looking at the coaches there. I'm like, guys, like, this is, come on, like, let, let's do this. So I just got really amped up, you know, like just angry and yeah, ripped, ripped it in. So, so yeah. when, when you're in that situation, what what are you doing in between throws? Are you, are you, obviously, you, you mentioned the coaches there, but are you talking to yourself? Are you and you and you mentioned Tokyo there. So, in a situation, you can lean on past experiences, or are you just sitting there getting angry and stewing on it, and then using that anger <laughs> to hurl the javelin? How does it all work in between throws in this situation? I look in between the throws. I usually try to, you know, get the right feeling. Think about the cues I use, you know, in order to obviously land the good throw. Um, not necessarily trying to get angry. Um, that, that's sort of like a backup for me for the last throw. <laughs> Things go sideways, then, you know, all is left is to get angry. Um, yeah, so that, that's sort of what I do. But um, most of the time, it's trying to be focused and, you know, focusing on the technical aspects of the throw. Talking to the technical aspects, uh, Michael, I know a tiny, tiny, tiny bit about javelin. And I do know you guys actually don't mind a bit of a headwind sometimes because it helps the javelin sort of catch a bit of flight. How yeah. were the conditions at uh, uh, Chatelet Stadium? Look, conditions are absolutely fantastic because it, it was a morning session, which usually I don't particularly enjoy mornings. You know, I'm not mm. really a morning person, but um, <laughs> be, be prepared for it. <laughs> but um, on the day, like it was one of the cooler days, so it wasn't too hot. Um, I think there was a slight wind, like, you know, whirling around, um, nothing crazy. So the conditions were perfect, to be honest, for the javelin throw. Um, yeah, it, it was good. And Michael, how is the morale of the team? I mean, like like Cam uh, started and alluded earlier in the show is, man, we have got metal poisoning. And, you know, what's great about our para-athletes is that they step up to where, you know, the able-bodied championships, we only keep, walk away most of the time with three medals. So uh, you guys make a, make the able-bodied athletes look sensational. So well, how is the morale of the team, mate? And, 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 and sort of, you know, how much do you uh, get inspired by the performances of the other athletes in the team? Look, I think the morale is, is is really good. Like people, you know, every time this is my second championship, so so I'm still pretty new to it. But um, you get you get into the team environment. You know, people are pretty locked on on what they're doing. Um, you can you can see that there is obviously a bit of tension. Some people get more nervous than the others. Um, so pe- people definitely taking it seriously, um, and it's it's great to be in that environment because it motivates you to you know wait for your competition and mm. surrounded by those athletes, you know, you mm. just like, you know, you're really locked on. And do you feel you're um, dialed in now for, for Paris next year? Um, obviously. Yeah. Because really like, you know, you get to the holding camp in Mount Pelier, then you get to go to yeah. Paris where the Olympics is going to be held. The city of the Olympics is going to be held next year. Um, does yeah. this, do you this now go into, you know, I've got it dialed in. I performed well in Paris. I'm ready to go. Please, yeah. can we fast forward this so I can get to Paris so I can get this medal? Yeah. Now, look, this comp was pretty much like a huge trial. So, uh, like Paris 24, it's my, it's on my wallpaper since I think year before, you know. So I, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, like as you said, the, the throws were, it, it was, a, it was a, at the end, it was a decent distance, but. Um, Technically, I just didn't do it well. So I know there is a lot more. And uh, there, there's been some issues with my patella tendons in December. So I missed a lot of like 
technical things I would love to do. Mm. So um, I'm really excited because I know that if, if, you know, I'm able to do those things and I have that year still to go, you know, then, then I can achieve something pretty special if it all lines up. Michael, let's get granular. I want, I want the listeners to understand what really goes on uh, for a thrower, especially a javelin thrower to your level. Uh, tell yeah. me what technical things you want to improve. Get technical with me. Let the listener know that they think you just throw the stick, you know, X amount of meters. Let them know where, what, are you, what are you trying to work and where do you feel you're going to find those extra meters come Paris? Yeah. So basically, like, everything comes from the legs in, in every sort of throws. Uh, if you shot put javelin, discus, wherever it is. So you need to really focus and train to be a really good runner, to be explosive in your legs. But then also you need to be able to separate the movement. So so like doing one thing and then the upper body is just patiently waiting, basically. So so you, you're setting up the stage with your legs, you know, then sort of you land into the throws where you block really hard into the ground. I think if you go into the studies, like on the elite throwers, uh, able bodies, like the, the produce of the power into the ground, like it's anywhere in you know nine hundred kilos of force and and more. So so it's a ridiculous amount of pressure you produce into the ground, and then it's like a chain reaction, just transferring up into the through the body up into the arm. So um, in in the training, like when we talking technicality, you're really trying to be able to separate those two because you work hard with your legs, and then the upper body is just hanging there waiting for the right timing. You know, and saying that like there is aspects of having the javelin in the right height, you know, having the tip of the javelin next to your head until the very last second, you know, because if you let it loose a little bit, then, you know, you're losing the right uh, trajectory. So it's it's very, very technical event. And um, that's why, like, you need to spend heaps of time just drilling, drilling, drilling drills. Um, and yeah, that, that's the key to success, really. Just focus, not, not trying to, you know, too hard. Um, yeah, how, do you, how do you do that? Man. How do you do that, man? I, I know, would have I thought know. you'd have grabbed it. What do they call it? Grip it and rip it, mate. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, done. yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. Before, you know, before when he said Michael, that he knows a tiny, tiny, tiny bit about the javelin. He was not joking on the tiny part. <laughs> I, nah, man, like I love the discipline. So. Just, just I'm when, a bit obsessed with it. Wait, and and uh, you know what? To be as good as you are, you have to be obsessed with with anything when you when you're reaching the levels you yeah. are doing. When you talk about drill after drill, and you're working through the technical side of it, are you using? Do you have a javelin in your hand, or is it is it is it not necessarily on the runway, and you're in the gym or something else? Like, how does it how does it work with the technicalities of practice? It doesn't have to be always with the javelin, but obviously there is different aspects to it, as I said, many, many of them. So you you can do a lot of drills in the gym, like, you know, just hanging on the rubber bands and yep. stuff, uh, you know, get that feeling of pulling onto something with your arm uh, to, to stimulate basically that feeling through your body. Um, but yeah, like I like I like to do a lot of drills with the javelin because obviously that's what you do. You're throwing javelin, so you might as well do it with the javelin. Um. Yeah. So, definitely. Well, when you uh, now you're, ba- you're based in Melbourne, so essentially, and, and again, this is yeah, it's a it's a it's a novice, probably a naive question. But when when you when you're training, is there is there other people around? Clearly, you know, you've got to have a little bit of safety around when the javelin. And when you're in a major competition, there are many people around, and everyone understands that the javelin is on. But how does it work from a training 
point of view. Like, are you just out the middle yeah. just throwing and you're just hoping that one of the sprinters like Johnny Steph doesn't roll across? How, do, how does it all work from a training logistic point of view? Well, this is a never-ending fight, right? Mm-hmm. All these runners always crossing the, the yeah. track. Yeah, they think, they think they own the stadium, Michael. No, no. We no, know. Cam, like, guys, I was, guys, I was, guys, I was <laughs> smart. No, Michael, Cam, I was smart. I'd make sure I go so hard to Michael with an A. Um, um, brother, we're friends, right? Hey, yeah, cool. And then I'll make sure he doesn't aim for me, man. Nah, like, look, it's it's always the thing. Like, someone decides to walk across. Uh, so you have to be careful. Yep. Like, like, nowadays we have some flags, you know, throws in the progress, etc. So you put some warnings in there. Uh, but but I think still, you know, every throw you, you need to look out, make sure that no one's crossing. And um, yeah, that, that's sort of the the things you deal with on every training. <laughs> All right. What, what's it look like for you now? In fact, actually, before we talk Paris and the lead up, I, I asked a lot of athletes this and I'll, I'll ask you this as well, because you were in Tokyo and you had to compete around that time in COVID times with no one in the stands Compared to now, where major tournaments in particular have people there and the atmosphere and the adrenaline is so much more enhanced, how much do you enjoy it more? How much do you enjoy, it seems again like a very obvious answer, but how much do you enjoy competing with people there compared to the Olympic Games, which is amazing, but had kind of that surreal, eerie feeling surrounded around it from a spectator point of view? Look, I always say like, it was a obviously it was a shame that there was no spectators in Tokyo because I heard that stadium on that day was close to being sold out. So mm-hmm. that would be absolutely unbelievable experience, right? But walking into the stadium in Tokyo, like I just saw the the massive scale of the stadium and I just lit up. Like I was, you know, smiling. I was like, This is fantastic. And then coming into Paris, um bit more bit more people obviously than in Tokyo, a lot more. Um yeah, it's great. It's great. And I, I just can't wait for the next year in Paris because, you know, that, that's going to be full experience. Michael, so, just before mate, you mate, go, sorry, mate. sorry, Cam, just before yeah. you go, Michael, I'm originally from the Czech Republic, for the, for those that are trying to pick up where that accent is yeah. from. Um, I'm sure you've got a lot of family still back home. Uh, yeah. I know you're, you're a proud Australian. You love representing Australia. Um, are, are you looking for that now that, you know, Olympics is now back in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, that they'll be able to come over and watch you uh, next year and hopefully take away the gold? Unfortunately for them, it'll be for Australia. But, uh, but for you, as long as it's a gold, doesn't matter. You'll be very happy, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, like I get full support of my family, you know, and they'll they'll understand my decision. So um, it will be great because it's it's not that far, so everyone will be able to come and watch. And um, it's gonna be really special, yeah. you know, to have family there. You know, my wife will come as well, uh, my coach. So um, really looking forward to it, yeah. and it's it's a good motivation as well to not screw up, you know, and, and rip, rip the big one. <laughs> so, so what does it look like for you now? Twelve months. Towards Paris, are you back in Australia anytime soon? How does the summer look? Do you spend much or most of the time in Europe? What does it look like for you? Uh, look, now I'm still 27. I'm, I'll be still here visiting family. Yep. Um, then basically going back to Melbourne. Um, as soon as I get back, basically I go back back to work again. <laughs> and I think I'll take the first two weeks back a bit easy, start doing some rehab on my shoulder, etc. And then slowly get back into it because eh? I don't really want to waste any time and get back into the prep. Um, yeah. And yeah, get, get really ready for next year. Now, you two have obviously a great deal in common because you both have silver medals from the Olympic Games. Now, I've actually asked John Stephenson this, so I'm going to ask you first, Michael. Where is your silver medal? It's on my 
it's on my uh, on my TV table. So, so it's like on that 21st century altar, yeah. you know. Be- beautifully done. <laughs> Wait, where's yours, Johnny Steph? You know, for a long time, I lost it. Yeah, this is why I, I thought the, it could no. be impossible. I thought I gave it to my mum because like, I've been traveling a bit, but I recently found it and it's currently in the safe. So, um, you, hang on, uh, you, where did you find it before you put it in the safe? Uh, my auntie had it, I think. I think <laughs> my auntie had it. Yeah. No, no, because no, I'm very weird, mate. And we know. This is all about Michael. So it's, don't worry about me. I'm glad he's he's got yeah. a nice little mantelpiece for him, which which is yeah. well deserved. I think yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have a bit more respect for my silver medal. Well, but uh, but also, Michael, it's, we're look, we're really excited, <laughs> man. We're really proud of you, and it's just it's awesome. Any time that an athlete gets represent Australia, I think he's magnificent. Any time you get to stand on the podium, um, I think he's just so good, man. And I have all the belief belief in you on between Cam and I that you'll have a great Olympics next year. I'm looking forward to watching your progress, mate. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. That was great. Hey, Any time, man. We'll talk as we head towards Paris in. Uh, enjoy a couple of beers back in the Czech Republic. Get back to Australia, <laughs> rehab, and then we'll talk soon, man. Good luck. Thank you, guys. He's a star, and there's no doubt we'll catch up with Michael as we head towards Paris and the Paralympics in the not-too-distant future. Get involved wherever you might be. 0403981116. Plenty more on the House of Ass. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse next. <laughs> Rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Ats. It most certainly is, wherever you might be. Do it all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Johnny Lestef Stephenson, Bin Stephenson, depending on whatever country you're in. What what do you call yourself in Melbourne? In Melbourne? Yeah. Uncle Steph. Uncle Steph, there yeah. you go. Cam Lou with all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Now, when the World Athletic Championships were on, you said to me. You know, there's four great male long jump world champion athletes. Yes. And you wanted me to rank them. And we continually run out of time. If you us, okay. No, nah, I'm not doing it to you. I'm warning you. Because you're here. I'm you ready? Studio. I'm in studio. You ready? Do you remember the four athletes? I sure do. Who are they? Dwight Phillips. Yep. Ivan Pedrosa. Yep. Carl Lewis. Mm-hmm. And the great Mike Powell. All right, here we go. So number four, Carl Lewis. Two gold. <laughs> no, no, no. Hang on. Benny, can we cancel this? Can we shut the show down? No, why? Can we just cut you, the mic? You've got, you got, you got. We waited all this time for you to start off with Carl Lewis as number four. At four. You're only talking about at world championships, right? Not all time. Yeah, fair enough. Go on. Couple of golds, got a silver, of course, and that famous Tokyo long jump. I'll tell you what I did realise, that how many Australians have placed or medalled yeah. in world championship long jump events. <laughs> uh, it's huge. So Carl Lewis, couple of gold and a silver, right? It was Olympics. Four straight Olympic gold medal. He'd be number one by far, but only a couple of gold. At number three, and this is hard. This is hard. Pedroso. He won four golds. Four golds. I've got him at number three. That's big. I felt that the depth in a couple of those competitions weren't to the actual, uh, probably the height of the others. At number two, I'll give you number one, because then if I give you number two, you know who number one is. At number one, Mike Powell. I've got him number one. Two gold and a bronze. You are, you've yep. lost it. No, I have not. They're like your tips. Telling you. I understand two now gold. your horse racing tips. <laughs> two gold like. and a bronze, right? So understandably from a situation where we sit here and we're not quite 
He probably hasn't got the, the silverware that the other two have got, in particular Phillips and Pedroso. Was Phillips it the world record two. that did it for you? It was. World record yeah. in the greatest long jump competition of all time. Okay. Our man Dave Colbert, of course, a he part sure of that was final. A big fella. But Tokyo, Carl goes bang. He was like, hang on a second. Yes. No one's going to get near old Bob Beeman's record ever. <laughs> Mike Powell, hold my Asahi. And he goes bang. <laughs> So I'm going to give it to Mike Powell. He may not have the silver and gold weather. That is two, two gold so and a bronze. So run from me one to four. Your order, mate. Powell at one. Yes. Phillips at two. Yes. Pedroso at three. Carl Lewis at four. Well, there you have now, it, if we were doing Olympics, different. I'd have King Carl Do absolutely number one. Do not justify yourself about with Olympics. This is purely world champs. That's what I'm telling you. And world I, champs. You know, I, I, fair play to you. Thank this you. sounds like you've done your, your homework. And yeah. I do give you number one because I do think that world record was spectacular. Unbelievable. And I think in the moment, in the long jump, you've got to give it to It'll me. never to be me. broken, Johnny. No one will ever go nine metres. No one will ever go There's nine metres. Cuban jumper by the name of... Yeah, he won't go nine metres. I thought he was going to do it. The the only person who could go nine metres is Kimberly Garcia. (laughs) (laughs) And then they realised they missed time to measurement. I'm taking a piss out of Kimberly, who is a world-class athlete. You're honestly out of pocket for that, man. All thanks to Kimberly's warehouse. We're getting out of here. See you, Johnny. Cheers, brother.